Welcome to the Horror Supernatural Chop Shop. Chopping up the good, the bad, the insane movies, TV shows of the horror and supernatural genre. With games, trivia, facts, and more. Horror Supernatural Chop Shop. And I'm your host, Zach Mr. Eyeliner, who is against all bullying, a horror pro, and a horror guru in my heart. And welcome also. Please introduce yourself. Hello, I am Evil Pris, a.k.a. real name Jackie Hunt, owner and operator of the special effects theater and glam makeup company, Everything Nuts, and I am so glad to be here tonight. Oh, well, I am so glad, and this being our first podcast, and, and when people first hear this, I first have to start, I'm going to say first a lot of times here, um, yeah, for years I wanted to, I've been listening to horror podcasts, and it's been so tough when you listen to horror podcasts with people who are a lot younger than us, and people who really don't are experiencing horror movies really, you know, and they talk about movies like when we hear it, it's like, ah, they don't know the actual truth, they don't know a lot of stuff about it. But I found this a beautiful, amazing, soulful, creative, crazy partner, Jackie, who I love. And she is one of the best people to talk all night long about horror films, horror makeup. And this is going to be one of these crazy podcasts where we review a movie, play crazy games, talk crazy crap, and more and more of that. So, and Jackie, what do you think? I was saying, and also debate with each other. Oh, lots of debates. And you know what? We love each other. So debates are not going to break my heart or break your heart. So we're good to go. <laughs> so, like, if, yeah. So first I want to say our show is going to be a complete true to uh, true to real reality of horror movies and what we grew up on. Horror, supernatural. I'm talking about movies, TV shows that really embraced us, helped us be more creative. Jackie, if you ever go on uh, Evil Princess Instagram, you'll see the amazing makeup that she does, the amazing career she's had. I've had a makeup career as well. I've had a hairstyling career, but my main goal in life has always been to have a partner in crime discussing the horror genre and building fans aware to horror is not a bad thing. Horror movies actually inspire creative minds, creative souls, and creative works of art. I would have to agree with you there. I will say it's also something to where it actually helps somebody to kind of think outside the box to what they think is actually artistic as well. Because anybody can put glam and glitter on somebody and call that art, but some people don't consider horror or the genre or makeup or anything like that. They'll sometimes not consider that when it's to me, it's my favorite form of artistic expression. I totally agree. And yeah, someone like you, you're like a person that will be completely inspirational to many and every generation for generations to come about how you think about that, how you express what you love in your art. And I hope the same thing with myself and us being like, you're in New Haven, I'm in New York and us having this opportunity to do this on a podcast together. That's one of the biggest things that I want to say my bucket list here. But horror movies have shaped me to really appreciate character drive and character development. And over the years, what's wrong with certain cinema? You know, we saw decades where like, okay, they made horror films, but were they, were they you and I as horror fans, do we classify them as actual horror movies? No, sometimes yes. But then we got exploited by people just making pure smut that they considered movies and 
horror porn is something that we're going to tell all our listeners going forward. We're never, us two are never going to review something called horror porn or that kind of term, whatever you want to say it, macho horror porn or whatever they call that. We are not here. We we did have a debate about this. There is a difference between horror porn and just horror in general of what it was back then. It wasn't considered porn because one of the, we had talked about this the other day, one of the number one rules or the top 10 is if you're going to have sex in a 70s, 80s, or even 90s horror movie, you're going to die. But it doesn't, I don't find it to be porn though. No, exactly. Like one of the number one, it was num- one of the number one rules that was going to happen that way. Yeah, that's why I got to tell everybody. That's why Jackie and I became like this great power team on phone calls. And this, I hope this podcast, you see our power team because we're not talking about that, which, which she just really brought up. We're talking about what you saw starting in the 2000s where these directors were making straight up like, hey, let's uh, attach people's butts to faces and things like oh, that. Oh, yes, that's yes, a- yes. <laughs> I was yeah. Like- that's when it was going a bit far that's when it was going a bit far yes and that's not hard so we're not going to sit here and try to like get viewers just because we're going to review that really sick disgusting film they throw in the horror aisle at a if we still had video stores we don't if we still had them they would throw it in there just because that's they don't know what else to call it that's not horror there's so many like people that consider horror movies a horror movie that aren't actually horror movies Exactly. Sometimes, like you said, like pure smut people are just would be like horror thriller, and it's like no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, like like you brought up, like exactly. What would Friday the Thirteenth, the whole series, be if they didn't have the the sex? And how would Jason kill you if he didn't break the rules? You know exactly. how would how would Michael Myers kill you if he didn't break the rules? Or I'm not bringing this up to like talk talk crap about it but even in scream they had the rules of don't say i'll be right back because you won't be back yeah and that was like something that started with the great writer kevin williamson that took so much notice of his genre growing up of 80s and you know the guy was a big steven spielberg guy he did dawson's creek but he was he when he first wrote scream it was called scary movie you know and that was something that he changed eventually with west but yeah, that's the thing. He wanted to like show the world we have rules and make fun of it, have like a parody to it, but also have a very seriousness to it. And since the 2000s, when these movies came out, we're always forever going to know, don't say, I'll be right back. Yeah, the thing is, though, is unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what the hell we're talking about because half of them are babies now. So they have no idea. You know, uh, yeah. so- I, you know what? You're going to be, see, what you just said right there, I know you're going to have a giant fan base in the next year from this because you are perfectly said than saying these sentences. You're right. Because, again, a reason why I wanted this podcast with you is many podcasts I have listened to, and their favorite, the movie that got me into horror was Scream. And I'm like, but my mind is blown. I'm like, that's the movie that got you into horror? Do you not, did you miss, like, three four decades of great horror like what happened dude of course they weren't born yet you can't ask a question like that when they weren't born yet but you can't like you you could say that but you you can't like go into saying you're a horror aficionado or a horror pro in movies unless you do your homework a lot of these these young these young podcasters or younger than us podcasters they go to school and they get taught this in school i went to some courses of film school i actually had the best like presentations talking about horror films 
because you have to remember the great like Hitchhockying days really birthed a lot of great directors learning their craft and then making horror films. Carpenter always credits like Hitchhock for stuff. A lot of these great directors from the seventies, Wes Craven, all these guys, they had to learn on the fly DIY style. Yes, but I will say I don't support Alfred Hitchcock. So. No, no, I don't for the same reasons you don't. I, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna go into that conversation here. But we will probably eventually on something that we're, we're totally gonna review a movie where it's Hitchhocking style. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I don't, everybody, when you're listening, that might not be for like a good few months, maybe a year. So don't think it's gonna be very close. We have a lot more to talk about. Uh, yeah, but more about us before we introduce the movie we're going to review is this woman, Jackie, and me. We, what we want to do is our mission statement is introduce viewers and listeners to a true team that actually cares about having debates, not being right. She's not right. I'm not right. She's not wrong. I'm not wrong. And having points of view. And you can have points of view. You can be angry at us. You can like our comments. You can love our reviews. You can hate our reviews. But hey. It's a free world. We're open to everything. You will hear you will you will hear some great comments from both of us about makeup and decisions on people's looks in movies at times because we're both in that industry. We'll also have really useless facts and maybe sometimes you know sometimes meaningful facts as well. I was about to say sometimes we might not have any facts at all and it's just going to happen the way it happens. Exactly. So, would you like me to start and announce the movie we shall be reviewing today on our first podcast, my dear? Yes. Don't forget to point out it had actually a kick ass soundtrack. I will say that. Oh, you are going to totally have that part in a second. Hold on. So, today, our movie that we're talking about in honor of anti Valentine's Day, oh, so sorry, my mistake, Valentine's Day, which is Monday, the February 14th, is. Wow, the well-titled Valentine from 2001. Right now, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 12% score. IMBD, 4.9 out of 10. Director, Jamie Banks. And if you don't know Jamie Banks, yeah, he was that guy in the 2000s that got his big break after college and tried to submit scripts for so many movies. But he, his first feature film, Urban Legend. So right after Urban Legend, right after a few years, he got to do, after four writers had to work on a 96-minute movie, Valentine. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you love before we go into the movie about Valentine? Uh, well, like I said, the soundtrack was better than the movie. But I will say, compared to when I watched it originally when it was first out, compared to now, I'm not going to sit there and say it was like a total turnaround, but it actually wasn't as bad as I, like, as I remember deeming it to be. I think at the time, obviously, we were all a lot younger, so there was a very high or populated opinion. But when it actually came down to it, the one thing I did actually like about it is they didn't go ridiculously super raunchy with it. Because a lot of movies in the 2000s, like you said, they would go like semi-porn or very raunchy about it to the point where it's like, okay, what am I actually watching? And obviously, you know, it was a movie from a long time ago, had to rewatch it. So it's one of those things where it actually, I liked how it had a plot where it wasn't like boobs were hanging out every two seconds or people were hooking up left and right. I mean, it had the one scene, but that wasn't even like a real like sex scene. No clothes were coming. I liked how it just kind of like focused on a plot and the kills. 
No, I, I love that because I, you know what I want to tell you, I was so shockingly surprised. And I think the reason why we didn't get all that, and it was I, when I rewatch it now, I actually rewatched it last night and I took all these notes and I was like, actually, I did not know Dimension Films didn't do this because at that time, Dimension Films was responsible for pretty much every one of these movies in the 2000s with the top teenage choices, the young, hot, you know, the heartthrobs and all these people. But it was actually like Warner Films. And the, the reason behind that is, you're right. That kind of that, that movie compared to like six others with the top stars from like the CW shows or whatever was hot at that time, they would show some boobs. They would show like maybe a boy, a guy's butt. You know, they would do they would actually sexualize and flirt, do that. But this movie was very responsible. And even with like having Denise Richards after she's already done wild things and she's already known and you know she's going to go on this movie being the sexy character, the hot girl in the group. They didn't, you know, they obviously didn't they, go there with her. Extreme. They did it actually very tastefully. It yeah. wasn't all, it wasn't all tits and butts. So it wasn't all tits and ass and everything every two seconds. It was actually, again, when I first saw it, obviously when it was first out, hated it. I hated everything about it. But rewatching it, I was actually kind of like, okay, it's still not the best movie ever, but it wasn't actually that, that terrible. I no, think I just it, wanted to chastise every movie from that time period and i was just like i i think really honestly always like moody at the time because i was like it's not that bad i think that we're gonna probably review more movies from that decade and sometimes you might be on the other side like i still feel the same i can't stand it you know but this one you're right this one was quite different and what i got out of this Again, I haven't seen this movie in uh, maybe a decade. I just remember it because it's like these one of these movies you remember. Uh, the, the, the coolest thing about this, if you really pay attention, I think that the, the male characters are treated more dumbed down and kind of like... Oh, the, my God. They were so stupid. Yes. I, another I, I, that's another I thing that. I actually forgot about. I completely forgot how dumb every single dude in that movie was. Like, every single one. Yeah, every Even single one. Even uh, uh, David Boreanaz, or however you say his last name, he was like, he was dumb, but I would say probably, I would say the dumbest dude out of all the movie, like... Oh, I, I know who you're going to say. One. No, no, I'm not talking about uh, Brad. I'm not talking about the wax guy. I'm talking about the other guy that walked up to uh, the main character, the blonde chick at the party. Yes, and he just, Max, yeah, he the like, artist. Max, the artist, was probably the dumbest one. Brian, I was not surprised with where he was taking that. Why would you say, come up to a bedroom, I have a surprise, and then she gets all offended because he's basically telling her to wax his, you know, member. Yeah, and I want to ask And then she starts getting all butthurt. I believe this, and it's just kind of like, come on, dude, really? Girl, girl, come on. And What'd it's funny that say? now in this conversation, like, I want to say, Matt, the guy, the, the actor plays Max, Johnny Whitworth, I loved I when I saw Empire Records, I wanted to dress like him. I loved like, this guy still maintained good looks in his age throughout the years. He was like this hot guy. Dressed like him. Yeah, he looked so he was amazing in Empire Records. You thought that guy was going to be a star somehow, and no, the weird guy Rory Corkane, or whatever his name is, he became the star right, next to live. And then you know, obviously Randall Zellweger, and then he's in this movie so. I don't even know if they wrote a wrote a script for him. I think he was just in there on drugs the whole half the time, just like ad libbing because his lines were just so terrible. Like, well, no, was... there's a no, there's a reason why. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but fun fact because I've worked on different 
sets and stuff like that, they have different tiers of acting. And the tier of acting is like you either get a background, which you get the credit for it, but like it's it's basically a tier of like how much you basically get paid in the industry. And if you get, there's a difference between the acting part because you're the actor in it, you're saying like you have a whole thing script and everything to know, but there it's called a speaking role. So if you do a speaking role, you could say as little as two words and that's what they have you do. Had, he didn't have an quote unquote acting role. He had a speaker role. That's and, what and it I may ask you your opinion on this. His character in the real world, would he not come off as a little bit, I'm not going to say a little bit, I'm going to say reality-wise, maybe a big chunk, a little bit tipsy, rapey? No, I would just say he just, uh, I, you know what? The, no. The thing is, is like, to me, I, I don't know if maybe I just look at the behavior of some dudes like different, differently, I guess, but I didn't see him as coming off vibey, rapey. I just saw him as coming off as like just, a tool bag. So. I think if they invested more time, I think if he got paid more money and they put him more on the screen, it, it would have turned that way. Yeah, but that wasn't his role at the time. He took a speaking role. That doesn't mean you get any extra, any more money. Like if you decide to take a speaking role, you take what you can get. And even if it's just two words and no offense at that point in time, he wasn't on in, he wasn't on the tier of the limelight anymore at that point. That's no, like was not. when they get to a point of that where they're just doing speaking roles after a while that they faded out. That's just what it was. He faded out. So he got what he could get and that was it. Uh, but I want to say the way they, the, the way the style department, the costuming did characters, he looked the best out of all the male characters. I in the do film. not agree with that at all. I, I loved it. But, but you, you look at you look at David Boreanaz's character at the movie. He's wearing like See, a, none of I them got, had uh, it. None of them had it. None of them had it. I'm sorry. None of them had it. No guy in that movie that even was showing any kind of screen time had it. Obviously, it was the early 2000s so what can we really say there's like that was the time period of fashion but i wouldn't have picked any of those dudes well i can tell you out of the writers we're gonna see here it's one woman one man one woman one man that wrote the movie and so basically maybe when the men's the men's part and i think that the one woman and one man gets more credit for the writing as i'm finding here and i probably must have to say the men were like oh we're gonna make the men look like us and if that's the term douchey, well, you got it right, guys. I don't think that's necessarily what they were going for. It was just the fashion. I'm sorry, but early 2000s fashion was horrible. I look at some of the stuff I wore back then, and it's it's atrocious. I would never wear it again, ever. So it's more but, on what the style was at the time. And plus, and it gets that, a little bit more crazier, if, you know, because the, the, the location of the film is Los Angeles. So, in Los Angeles, anything probably went in 2001. Most likely, but also it's... So, again, these are time periods. Like, this isn't a current thing. Obviously, if it was a current type of movie, there's no effing way that anybody would ever appreciate, like, half of what was going on for, like, war... They, they dress the ladies up nicely, but not the dudes. I feel like the dudes got to... Well, at that time, the, the ladies of this movie were, if you weren't exactly an established star already, such as, i.e., you know, 
the main girls, Denise Richards. Molly Shelton was like the main character, as we're going to talk about. But she was still like the, the she was like the studio's brand new girl. They were trying to sell like Catherine Heigl. She was like their it girl for a lot of campaigns for things. But she gets killed off what the first ten minutes because of the movie. She wasn't, at that point in time, she was not considered an A list star. She was a D list at that time, if best. I'm going to say that right now. She was not an A lister at that point in time. She did not become certified A-lister completely until she did the movie Knocked Up. I'm sorry. Right. But that and after Knocked she... Up, that was it for her. She's like, I'm out of, I'm out of, she had yeah, but, I'm saying, but my point is, is with this movie, she doesn't deserve any more screen time than what she had. Agreed. So, I think it was a good, it was a good way to start the movie. But again, um, if you ever, anybody who made a movie after the screen came out, they had to do that opening intro scene where one of the main people that was involved in the situation. Oh, yeah, 100%. Big... They had to die, like, within the first 10 minutes, of course. Yes. And now, I would like to introduce, before we start talking more about the movie, some real facts that I loved about that decade, that movies that were, like, screw these slasher films from, like, these t- these young directors who are just trying to make a lot of money. And we got beautiful, beautifully crafted films that are still my favorite. And I'm probably sure you probably love them. Session Nine, one of my favorite movies ever. I love that. When you thought that movie came out the same year, then we got Frailty, Matthew McConaughey, Bill Perlman. That was such a great film. I introduced to so many people, and that was a movie that came out the same decade. Other did directors were like, it? "Did you ever hmm? go to the place? Did you ever go to the place that they filmed Session Nine at?" No. Have you been there? A long, long time ago, before they turned it, before they got rid of it and turned it into complexes. Yeah. Uh, What's that? What was that like? You had to pay. Secu- you had to pay security guy. They would either just kind of let you in, but most likely you had to kind of pay them. But it was dark. It was yeah. pretty much black uh, flashlights and stuff like that. We used flashlights. I didn't stay in very long, to be quite honest. I was too much of a chicken shit. I'm sorry. I got. I, I I I do not doubt your your whole strength, my my friend. I would, I would not I would want say, to be there that long. I would say I was in there for maybe like maybe 30 minutes max, but like even then I was like the whole time, like, I don't want to be in here. I'm good. I don't want to be here. So. Yeah. And that movie, like it just like nobody knew about it. And then that director who I love so much, who later went on to do um, the machinist with Christian Bale, where Christian Bale was almost dying on set for the amount of weight he lost. And there was doctors on set. He just is that man, Brad Anderson, did so many great things. To this day, he's directing episodes of great TV shows that you and I would probably be watching right now. And we'll talk about that one day on the phone without this. And yeah, that was a great year because a lot of these other studios were like, you know, they're these bigger studios are doing the slasher thing so wrong. And I don't know if they're ever going to revive and come back from that. And then the biggest one I'm going to say that we came out of that generation of that year to two years was of course Donnie Darko because that was Donnie Darko stole the show that year. That I liked Donnie Darko, but I wasn't like, oh my god, this is amazing. It was good, but I didn't think it was amazing. But again, I'm sure there's going to be people that are not going to agree with me, and they're probably going to jump down my throat. And that's I I I, I agree. And what I'm going to say is, I hope they jump down your throat and my throat right now because I agree, and I say. For anybody, when I'm talking about horror with you, Session 9, if you want to show Session 9 to a person who's never seen that movie, turn all the lights off in your house or your apartment, show them this movie, let them fucking figure it out themselves, and they're going to watch it, and they're not going to go home the same. Because Session 9 gets to you to this day. If you, 
Oh yeah, I 100% agree. I ended up, I think the first time I ever saw that movie, watching the dark, but I did watch him that night out of Francis. Honestly, like I thought it was good. I thought it was extremely good. I just don't get, I don't get really with movies. So it was, to me, I just loved how there was the constant anticipation and tension. That's what and I liked su- And it. such a great score. It was so like, it was so leveled. The score was just so, it wasn't it was, big budget. It was leveled and it was simple. They didn't go yeah. all over the place with everything. It was simple and they pretty much put like the psychological, they use psychological warfare on like your, your mind with your fears. Exactly. And, you know, I, I love that we, we could talk about psychological and horror. A lot of like the podcasters are afraid to not include that terminology because they don't know how the they can't explain the movies correctly. But throughout our generations of the horror cinema, you look at so many great uh, topics like that. And uh, in the future, you and I should totally have a whole entire show dedicated to what we are just talking about now and name movies that actually bring you to that brain level of horror love you know yeah i would say that there hasn't been any like that in the past like i would say 10 to 15 years so we gotta go way back on that one we're gonna go way way back and we're gonna watch a lot of actual great masterpieces i'm again gonna have to say i i think i watch everything i think you watch everything you recommend things to me i recommend things to you i can't tell you anything in the last 10 years that i can even put on that list yeah, there hasn't been anything at all. But All right. I was about- say, with the one thing with the Valentine movie, too, is I'm actually going to buy the soundtrack now because it actually was really good. <laughs> I mean, uh, truly, you could probably get that soundtrack at Amazon for quite a great price right now. I was about to say, no one gives, no one gives a shit about it. I'd probably be able to find it for maybe like five bucks, if that. And you probably could find it, like, maybe even brand new. Like, the person bought it, never opened it. Like, I want to get rid of this. Here you go, five ninety nine. That would be pretty cool. Not yeah. Cool. <laughs> but since we're talking about the music, yeah, before we – I know, we're going to get into the movie. We, we, this is how we're going to be, everybody. We're going to have our piece. And we're going to be natural podcasters here. And the movie reviews, if it's something that we both are going to be so overly in love with, it's going to be a longer podcast. But this one is going to be – so, but the movie, very smaller, but the, as my great co-host here is mentioning, I have to shout out the bands like Rob Zombie, Deftones, Disturbed, Static X, Liquid Park, Orgy, Marilyn Manson, basically everything club kids, golf kids, rock kids are going out and kicking, you know, listening to and having fun with, with their friends. That generation defined soundtracks. Every, these, every horror movie that came out that time had to have a soundtrack like that, you know? Well, I think honestly, I mean, I'm so, I know I'm so wrong on this, but like, I feel like it's almost like they thought in their heads, like, well, if the movie's a flop, at least the music is good. I don't know. That's what I would be thinking. If I was making a movie, I'd be like, we got to add like really good music because if we don't, then like, if the movie, what are we going <laughs> to do? So, I, I, I would have I done it as like, I literally would have done it as a, what do you call that word? Le- leverage. Leverage, yeah. Yeah, a lot in a lot of movies, and you're correct with that. So many movies in the, the studios actually, after they see the final cut, they are like, "All right, let's just bank on selling the soundtrack, having like number one hits." The movie's probably not going to do much for us. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know if that's real, but that's what I would be thinking if I was making a movie. I, I can tell you from my background in the music industry, with like smaller labels, 
when, like the small labels I was a part of, I knew people a part of, and they had a great band that sold their song to a soundtrack. They literally made more money off the soundtrack song on the soundtrack than on the actual own album, and they got residuals. So that was a great deal for bands for a certain time. I don't know how that is now, but in the 90s, like about 2010, that was a great deal for like the smaller rock and roll, punk rock, uh, you know. Labels. I was about to say, if you were able to get on like a, a big enough movie and your song was on there, then that that's when either there was a 50-50 chance of something would happen for you and you'd get a call a couple days later, or you just wouldn't. There are some songs I've seen on movies, any kind, any kind of movies, but horror movies too, where if there's a song and it's like a really catchy, it's a really catchy song. I'm like, oh man, and I can't even find it because it's like, that was like one of the songs that got away, if that makes sense. No, it totally is. And I'm totally going to be corny right now. Um, from the movie Jennifer's Body, the real version of Into the Trees is from a band, Low Shoulder. That's a real, they have the name in the movie, but it's a band that my friends toured with that are nice guys. And they were so annoyed that it was impossible to download their song on any like, app. And you couldn't find it. You can go on YouTube and hear it. And they were so shocked by as much as they gave that movie, that song. That song is actually better than the movie once again. And uh, uh, so many people, the tour got almost ruined because they couldn't even find that song anywhere. Well, that's no bueno. No bueno. Okay, so we're, we're going to officially begin our review of the 2001 movie Valentine. Starring a great bunch of people. One being a housewife now whose daughter doesn't speak to her, as I recently seen in social media headlines, and Mr. David Boreanaz, as you know from that time, Angel on Buffy and the show Angel, and a bunch of crappy like procedural shows that he's on now. I uh, he was on the know. show Bones. He was on the show Bones. Uh, yes, correct. He was on one. Good, he was on another good show before he went here, uh, Bones. Now he's on procedural like army shows and whatnot. And a young Marley Shelton, like who is. Jackie's favorite character in the new Scream movie. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, yes, I am fucking kidding you. So I, I was going to gonna say, do you really want to go there? Because I can totally go right back there again, dude. No, no. You already yeah. told me that you didn't want me to go there. <laughs> we have to be organic. We have to throw some... No, I'm saying... Oh, I, uh, she was the I know. Fresh you, already, you know how I feel about that. Oh, man. She was the... She was the fresh face, you know? Yeah, she was the fresh face at the time. Exactly. So as the Valentine begins at a junior high school, Valentine's Dance in 1988 in San Francisco. And we meet Jeremy Melton later to go on with, I got, I don't even know how many names he has throughout the movie. He's an outcast. He has four popular girls. You know, as a boy, as a man I am now. Yeah, we've all been there. We asked three girls out. Then we asked the fourth out. But, you know. One of the, the girls, the fourth, obviously, says maybe later. So that's a possibility of happiness. And after that, what happens, Jackie? What, in the very beginning of the movie, after you say that? They're out of, they're well, out of school. Uh, um, what is Dorothy? There's a girl who's very, like, a, supposedly a part of this friend group, Dorothy. Who, well, there's Dorothy time, where she was, uh, there was the friend group where they all had their own titles of what kind of girl in the group they were. And Dorothy was basically just like the reject. She was like the duff of the group. Very good. And I think that terminology will be actually understood by some of our younger fans. So that's good. So again, Dorothy is coming into the picture. And 
all of a sudden, she says Jeremy sexually assaulted her. So a bunch of the, you know, cool boys who, like, want to defend all the girls' honor and take their virginity, most likely, like, publicly strip and severely beat him. And his nose starts bleeding. FYI, the nosebleed will be the big part of the movie. So pay attention to that. And eventually, all the girls testify against him. And he ends up in a mental institution. Bum, bum, bum. Fast forward 13 years, 2001. Shelly is now a student at UCLA in the morgue. And unfortunately, she is the, the 2000s version of the, fun, of the the beginning girl, I mean, where she gets the first kill. And she is killed. Which is dun, Catherine dun, dun. Heigl, what we were talking about earlier. That was played by Catherine Heigl, where she got the screen time that she was going to get. And she, that was it. That was it. Yep. So now, let's just go down to Shelly's funeral. Well, the rest of the friends are there and being questioned. Wait, we, by... have to say how, we have to say how she was killed, though. We can't just say she died. Oh, please let the audience know how she was killed. She was, ex- as she had a final because she was working in the morgue. And then when she was about to cut the body open to do the autopsy or what they do, more, she ended up hearing a noise. I'll cut, I'll cut this, I'll make a long story short. She hears a noise. She goes to like freak out and go check on it. She goes to cut into the body and to finish her exam. And it's actually really the murderer, the killer, the Valentine guy. She before that I actually skipped one part. Before that she actually goes to open up, what was it, the refrigerator or the freezer or whatever? Yes, the freezer. Yeah. Yeah, the freezer or whatever. And the body that she was supposed to cut open and practice on actually falls out, and the killer's on the slab. I kind of liked the, how the body fell out somehow. You don't know how, but it was interesting. You know. Yeah, so it was an interesting part. And after that, she goes running away, and he comes after her. And then he loses her. And basically, in a nutshell, she hides in a body bag. Real fucking smart, by the way. I'm being so sarcastic when I say that. Oh, I hope you are. He hides in a body bag, and he basically starts stabbing all the bags. And then he opens up the last bag. She freaks out, and she gets her throat sliced. That's the end of her one day at work, because she got paid pretty handsomely for at that time in her career. So, okay. Now we go to Shelly's funeral, where I don't, again, this comes to directing style here. There's no real great concept of how her body would actually be at a funeral after what that has happened. And it doesn't matter, though, because it's basically just us being introduced to the adult versions of the girls. And it, you get the characters introduced to you now as adults, where everybody has that part to play. And we have... You give me, I want you as our co, uh, the, the woman on this show to say it correctly. I don't want to break any barriers as a man. So you tell us what you think of what the women's characters descriptions would be like. here. What in reality of like how. But like how they're supposed to be like, who's this? Who's that? Because like, they, acted that like they, they acted exactly like they would would have acted in general as as adults, to be honest. They all had their little of who they were. One was the smart one, one was the brainy one, one was the hot one, and then one was the quirky one, and then uh, Dorothy was the duff. But she actually, all of a sudden, as adults, she actually cleaned up nice and looked all hotty-patotty. So and and you ha- can't forget that she's the rich, spoiled girl as well. Yes, but they didn't reveal that until she was an adult. So we did 
that. Yeah, that was, I thought that was very strange that we didn't get that to that part. Then we get into there. Uh, and then we meet, like, you skip forward from that, you know, they, they get a box of chocolates, they get all that stuff. And there's actually a one quote from a box of chocolates term that was, like, kept sticking to me. And it was really, like, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it's like, so, the thing. yeah, it was just constantly, like, I was, like, had to, like, actually rewind it. Like, seriously? Yeah. I think maybe the writers worked on more of the, when you got the gift cards, you know, you got the Valentine's Day gift cards with the message. You open them up. They work better on the writing of these cards than they did on the character building. In school and uh, they would actually, I don't know if they did it when you were a kid and you went to school, but they did have like a Valentine's Day where the kids would give people like, you know, little Valentine's Day candies or a card. And that was the worst. I remember being in school and hating that particular day because I was totally that kid that got picked on all the time and I barely would ever get any kind of like anything. It, it, it sucked. It was not fun. You know what? That Because that holiday is built on a situation where I'm going to tell you this movie is as well. This movie starts with bullying. If you watch this movie, this movie starts with a bunch of popular girls bullying a very ugly duckling boy. And what you just said, Jackie, I was in the same situation. And you had to have this pressure on you as a little person, a young child, where you hated that day because you were not cool if you didn't get something like that. And I didn't understand it. Again, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a greeting card holiday. It doesn't have any purpose of being stressing to people. Hence this movie, I think it really went into itself, maybe trying to show what the holiday is about. It's a bullying holiday. These girls bully this boy. This boy lives well, his whole I life. Wouldn't, I wouldn't take it that. I The movie, it was like that, but I wouldn't take it that far in real life. I, I, eventually, there's scenarios, I think, that might get there. But I, I want to say one good corny line from the film, um, when Dorothy's reading, roses are red, violets are blue. Don't need dental records to identify you. <laughs> I'm like, again, which one of the four writers spent a great amount of time working on that creative line? Were, were they like maybe on the, the toilet or coming back and buying a taco? And they're like, this move, this line is going to save the movie. It is. I don't think they thought that. I think they just needed to think of a line real quick for that particular part. And it was just like, if you remember that part, she's, she just reads it and she's like, okay, well, no biggie. And then well, her, like, but the thing is, is what is she what is she supposed to do? Honestly, if I saw a card like that, I would think it's a joke too, and I would probably brush it off. Like uh, it's not like they it's not like they were aware that somebody was suddenly coming to them. At first, when you get a card like that and you're not expecting to have any kind of enemies or something like that, you're gonna treat it as a joke. Okay, I understand that. And then all of a sudden we meet her boyfriend of a week or whatnot, Campbell, who, uh, yeah, Campbell, yeah. that guy, <laughs> I remember that guy, he was in so much shit, and I don't even know why, because he's, like, not even a good actor, never was, uh, no, he was, like, the really boring boyfriend of Kelly Taylor on 90210, yes, I'm older, and, dude. like, everybody, <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, we both are, dude, and, that's <laughs> yeah, I know. and he wasn't even a good actor in that either, no, he really wasn't. He was just like, I'm boring. I'm a doctor, but can't afford a practice. And then I saw him on a bunch of sci-fi movies on the sci-fi, sci-fi network. And he was like the same guy. 
He was like the same character. I don't know how they thought he was like a hearthrobe for this movie, like a hot guy. It happened. It's called typecasting. Once somebody gets typecasted to fit a role that fits them, that's pretty much all they get. So he was typecasted. And I love that introduction of Campbell because this movie is so not so. It's like, okay, we're giving you a little bit of uh, this music, and they're trying to say, okay, viewers, maybe he might be the killer. Dum, dum, dum. And that happens throughout this whole movie. They're trying to like persuade us to think who a killer is and who a killer is not in the worst way. And from there on, because we got to just keep going on real quick with this. After that, we really get, oh, we have to talk about the amazing props department of picking the Cupid mask that you can buy for like four ninety nine at a party city everywhere. Yeah, but that was the same situation with the Michael Myers mask. They went, one uh, PA ended up going to get the white mask. It freaked everybody out. They did a couple little things to tweak it around. It's same it's the same exact situation. So no, yeah. that was that was the seventies. That was the seventies, and these guys had no budget. He went there, and they had to change it up. The guy had to do it. That was his job. He did it. That was a great story. This was just basically like a cupid mask. They did. Wait, no, 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 no. They had a budget in the original Halloween. They had a budget, and they spent most of the budget on the Panavision camera that they ended up using. So they actually had a very little budget to work with. So and. And little known fact, yeah, I, we can't get more into this because it's the Halloween episode we'll talk about. The most of the budget besides that was on the pumpkins they had to transfer in because they had no pumpkins in the way they shot in California at that, that whole point. Yeah, they had five pumpkins. But I'm saying <laughs> my for, I'm saying my overall point, it relates to what we're talking about right now. My overall point is is you most like serial killer masks that they needed to just be able to find on the fly and the thing is is it's not that hard to be like okay we're making a horror slasher valentine's day movie just go grab some kind of mask that relates to it i'm sure the guy went to some kind of costume store found it in two seconds like you said for maybe like five bucks but at the same time like it was actually for what it was it was a decent mask it doesn't matter how cheap it was it fit with the theme so no that that, that works with that this movie's theme Ooh. 100% because we we have already kind of expressed what this movie's theme is. Um, a lot of like slacking, but yeah, then we introduce, introduce to my new favorite character that movie. No kidding, Max, the artist that you barely see any of his art that and they blah 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 and they hate it, whatever. And his the friends accuse him of being a con artist, you know, skip through him. And then we learn about our main character, Marley Shelton's character, whose boyfriend is no other than the. Gorgeous at that time, David Boreanaz, which I supposedly he's an alcoholic, and uh, you know, as I don't know how much they used good examples of him being an alcoholic, and that was supposed to deter us from like liking the guy. I don't know. Well, he became an alcoholic probably because he was getting bullied this whole life. No, but again, he plays like he's four different characters. If you look on his like, his, <laughs> so I, we know, I totally keep forgetting that they had him. They, his identity was like four or five different people. And you know, and it's so funny is everybody's like, "Yeah, you've been with him for like, yeah, you, know, you were with him for a year. You, you know, we know him. Okay, hi, and everything else. Everybody has like shade towards him. And it's like, how are you? These all the characters? Does no one recognize? I don't get it. It's like too much to explain. They don't explain it, so it's a wor- it's a waste of time anyway. <laughs> but then we go to the big plot of the movie. Dorothy's planning a party at her family's estate. And who disappears that day? Her 
awesome boyfriend with the motorcycle with the ex girlfriend who's telling her he stole everything from me and has a well, motorcycle. Who that is, Campbell. That is Campbell. Yes, and what happens to Campbell? The killer murders him with an axe in the basement. In two uh, seconds. I I thought that was pretty anticlimactic. That was like the dumbest kill I've ever seen on the movie. You might have missed it if you were putting ice into your drink. Yes. It was very quick and anticlimactic, and I don't know. I just, I'd say flat out, no. And then we have the ex-girlfriend of said Campbell, who is then thrown through a shower window by the killer, who then impales her neck on the glass. So why yeah, does she get a better what? kill? I, I was just literally about to say that. Why did she get a better kill than him? Yeah, I think that he deserved a better kill. He was, a, he was like the bastard, you know? The con artist. Kind of like, that didn't make sense to me because I'm just like, oh, she got pill- killed like way more brutally than him. Like, what the, like, he, that was like supposed, just no. Well, maybe that was supposed to be giving us intellectual hints to who the killer might be at the end of the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, again, please know that intellectually hints is, is actually sarcasm for me as well. So the party then goes and the power gets cut out. Dorothy and Kate argue over who the killer is. Kate being, you know, obviously the final girl and you know it before you know it. Claims that Campbell could be the suspect. But they know he's dead. And after that, what happens? Uh, Kate's boyfriend, the alcoholic on and off again boyfriend, is now who's now a journalist, comes in. And you have that moment where He's trying to be drunk and, oh, my God, his acting coach was horrible at the time. Him trying to, like, act like he was drunk. Even when you see him in the drinking that thing, you don't even think he's drunk. You just think he's just a bad actor. I mean, honestly. I didn't, think, I, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually think that at all because I will say I have experience with past addiction. And because he was sober for the time that he was sober, he actually, what that will do sometimes to you is trigger a manic episode if there's too much pressure and everything. So he actually was acting exactly how an addict would be if they suddenly got triggered and they relapsed. I, so. I, I, I know the same thing, but the way that you shot him walking, they shot him walking up the stairs to her and then her reaction. So like, right away, like, you you know, if she was mad because he's like, oh, she thinks he's the killer. You know, she probably thinks he's the killer. And after that, it's just, like so convenient. And then she's fighting him. Uh, to me, I, I'm going to ask you your opinion after I just finish this off. She, after she went to the house, discovering Dorothy's room trash, the page and Ruthie's corpses. And I don't really want to spend time talking about Ruthie's corpse. Well, I was because, about to say, we, I was about to say, in the very end of it all, I think that there are aspects that, yes, there's a lot of different things that could have been done differently. But again, a lot of the things that I had critiqued when I was younger are things that I actually will say that I semi-take back on some of those aspects. Because, again, like things were very much different with how they would do a lot of cinema at the time and yeah of course there's some things that are so different now but I mean again some of the things that I trashed in my younger years I am actually like oh you know what that actually makes sense but at the same time too you know when that movie came out we were all we were both me you and a lot of other people were a lot younger so there's a lot of things that probably we were like whatever that's so dumb but it's I mean, everybody was an adult. So it's like when you think back on some of the things, that's why 
at first I hated the movie, but like now I kind of get some of the points and aspects of it. It's like, yeah, we're now we're adults now, so I can kind of relate to some of the shit that's going on right now. A hundred, yeah, and that be like being from what you just said, I want to say I did not re- remember back then how how Denise Richards was pretty much if you watch the movie, her name comes up first in the movie. Denise Richards was the actual driving star of that movie. And she's like the almost the last kill of that movie. And her kill was like, it kind of seems like her manager's like, this is how she's going to get killed. She's got to look really beautiful before she gets killed, okay? And it was so close to almost the end of the movie. I was surprised because usually in a movie where in that time, that's how it worked. But now you have someone like beautiful and popular and pop culture. They're not going to die at the very end, so close to the ending. I, I mean, very close to the ending. But Denise Richards' character, Paige, was the last friend of theirs really before we're gonna talk about dies and that whole scene was very much looking like it was a hollywood produced like deal scene you know oh probably at the time period it probably was in her contract yeah it 100 percent was a nudity was not in her co- i read this nudity wasn't the way she died had to be approved by like her manager. She, she had something against nudity in that movie, but in Wild Things, her tits are flashing out every two seconds. But then suddenly, yeah, it's called. She wasn't getting paid as much money as she was getting for Wild Things. Yeah, but once you show your once you show your boobs, movie. I mean, you can't really like unsee it or take it back. So you might as well just do it. I mean, I didn't care either way. I just like uh, your character. And, oh, real quick, we have to talk about the creepy cop. What? What? That creepy? That cop was the worst cop in any of these movies. <laughs> well, he's like, "Can I talk to you alone in this room for a minute?" And then, what's what's wrong? Like, how did it, why did they put him in there? Was that like trying to be for comedy? And like, why did, was he in there? Dude, who knows? The cop, the, the weird creepy cop. I actually didn't have any kind of opinion on. I don't know if they were trying to add that in to just kind of add some kind of other storyline to the whole mix but i didn't really see a point on him even being casted in that movie so i don't get it but that's again me. going back to studio and denise richard's contract i think maybe denise richard's like i need like this character to give me more screen time and have a scenario with him and make me look stronger and that's what the scenes were filmed with him and her at that as you saw and i think maybe that was the only reason this guy actually got a job on the film more than he was, he got the job in the film, but maybe he had more screen time because of these Richards need more screen time. Yeah, it's a very good possibility. Yeah. All right. I mean, so from there, yeah, from there, this guy is just pretty much, he starts as a good cop, right? But how does he turn into just the creeper? Because he's a creep. <laughs> yeah. That's like basically, he was just known as cop on script. Then another writer came in and it's like, all right, Denise needs him. To be a creeper, she needs to look like a hero on this scene before I she dies. Down like that. What? I said I don't think it went down like that. Oh, it's the two thousands. I can't. I can't speak on that. I two thousand and one. I think anybody had say on a lot of things. But all right. Actually, two thousands was like the worst time where women didn't have a say in a lot of things. Oh uh, no! But Denise Richards was somebody uh, who had people attached to her. It's a, it's a possibility. Again, that was a time period where a lot of things got overlooked. So I'm not going to say I'm not going to say on this. Me and you, either one of us is right or wrong on that because 
that was like a hazy time where like we weren't in show, we weren't in the industry. So we don't, neither one of us actually really know. Jackie, you just brought up a great point. Audience, when you finally listen to this, how about you message us and make comments on our, uh, our post and our, on our page and say, would you guys be interested in doing a whole episode about horror films in the 2000s? What we thought really went on vaccines and what happened and how they got their roles. And Jackie and I will do like a two hour podcast talking about how we really feel about how women and men and how the direction of films went in the whole 2000 period of our movies. How do you, how you sound about that? How you like about that? Like, that's a good thing. We could do a whole two hour lovely event talking to our viewers about our opinions and our knowledge of the 2000s and what happened with these films. Well, I was about to say, we will see what happens if we get enough responses. I hope we do. We deserve it. You deserve it. And all right, let's just finish this with the ending of this movie now, please. Okay, so I want you to really explain to me the ending of this movie as I'm still kind of confused. All right, I, I'm going to say the what end. About? So basically, the whole time, Jeremy set Dorothy up and got her into this mindset. So she would be the killer, but Jeremy's the real killer the whole time. Yeah. And no, it's not confusing. I'm just joking. And at the end, uh, so Hero has to kill, you know, Dorothy. And Dorothy's dead now. And our great man here, Jeremy, Adam, whatever the hell his name is, Joel at one point, gets the girl he always wanted that says, maybe later. And everything is great. And as the movie ends, what do we get? blood dripping from his nose onto her face and somehow i don't know but if i was bleeding blood from my nose onto another's face would i notice or she noticed i hope they would but nobody notices and all's good in the world and valentine ends i mean the one thing i will say about that is the cops didn't get there yet so how is somebody do that that's what do you do. I was gonna say, and how do we actually know that everything was right with the world? Maybe the cops came. Maybe they did some investigating. Maybe they figured out it was him the whole time. I gotta that tell you, never, based, based on the cops. I was gonna say the cops never even actually officially made it to the house. So yeah, and based on the cops that we saw in such film, this is gonna be a, a hard no for me that. Mr. David Boreanaz as Jeremy Melton and young Jeremy, whatever his names are in these movies, uh, he never gets caught because he's got his perfect gal now, and that's what he always wanted. He has to get rid of her trashy friends. Like, yeah, but you can't say that when the movie ended open ended. You don't know if he got caught or not. What if in the movie, what if he actually did in real life? If it was real life, what if he actually did? Oh, it was 2001. They were elevating half their careers. That movie ended, period, not being a sequel. And if it did a sequel, it'd be like straight to DVD and uh, Redbox at that time would have a whole different Dude, cast. You know what? There's so many movies that would think that they would not try to bring it back, but somehow they did. Let's put an example of Coming to America too. Come on. It had been like 30 or 40 or however long it had been, and they for some reason decided it was good to make a sequel. So you actually can't sit there and say that there's not even a possibility that Valentine 2 would come out. Um, yes, because Eddie Murphy had all the rights to that, and he did I'm that. Saying, I don't want to talk about this movie. I'm, okay, my, was, I'm, I'm getting back. I, it relates to Valentine, though. Like, you don't know if there could be one day where they just might want to break, because there's always so much out of ideas. 
one day they decide, hey, let's just do it, just to do it. And they, like, who uh, knows? Based on Jamie Banks' director's track record from the years since and the writers and that studio making these kinds of films and how this movie ba- failed so and bombed so horribly, even on VHS, DVD, and whatnot, they probably won't. What they would do is reboot it, start it anew, call it Valentine again, and have a whole new cast. Probably be a lot better movie. And fuck them. You and I might even do the purpose. We'll like write a little screenplay, send it to them, and we'll we'll do it. And we'll just like make fun of the whole holiday and make it nice yeah, and hoary and gory. You can do that. I'm good. <laughs> You'll do all the makeup. So it actually looks like instead of the guy only being killed for a second, you can make the kill like about mm, five minutes. I want to get some good good shots in there. <laughs> so that was Valentine's, everybody. That was the movie. And we did this in honor of, of course, Valentine's Day. We're going to keep going. But our next podcast is truly not going to be about a holiday. This is, The next movie will be something that Jackie and I will talk about. And it will be something only known to you when we have that podcast there. And we're going to do some great stuff going forward. We are going to do a great month of april of just pure horror films we love then we enter mother's day time where there is some good mother's day films and i must say i am interested in reviewing some mother's day horror films with you because i tried to show them to my mom several times she's like get out of here with that you know not to say my mom won't watch that stuff yep and then we get to dum 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 exciting summertime where Jackie and I will be opening the vault of our chop shop and we'll be looking for the coolest, disturbing movies of horror that have representation to our summer, spring, camp, and everything kind of times. And that's going to be a lot of movie watching for us too. So you guys, please appreciate the fact that we're both people who love it and we're busy in real life, but we want to provide the best content here, the realest content, and we're going to do it. All right. And anytime you want to ask us a question, we have our Instagram account and you can contact us at the Har Supernatural Chop Shop. That's us too, always going to be on and answering your questions. And at this point, Jackie, I'm going to introduce our beautiful friend of ours, sponsor from Pray for Us Clothing. Okay. Hell yeah. All right. So, my buddy Nick, who I've, I love his clothing line, it's called Pray for Us Clothing. And he's giving you a great opportunity with a promo code. It's called, and the promo code is THS Chop Shop. That is THS Chop Shop, capital THS Chop Shop. And Pray for Us Clothing is all about the end is near, creating great content and great clothing, such as hoodies, women's shorts, men's shorts, men's t shirts, women's t shirts, socks for all. Great items coming again. Collaborations they do constantly. So please follow that code that we said. And from there, we have more sponsors that Jackie and I are going to show to you guys are part of the horror lifestyle. Correct, Evo Press, Jackie? Yes, everyone continue to tune into our stuff. It's only going to get better and better. Obviously, right now, it's our first podcast. We had a lot to cover and a lot to say all at once, but we will be saying tons more at another date, and it will be coming soon. Don't lose hope on us. Continue to actually check us out. Check out our page. Check 
out my buddies back at Mr. Eyeliner off of Instagram and then me, Evil Pris, and check out both of our makeup work, his eyeliner line that will be launching uh, soon yeah, in the near future. Yeah. Very near, probably March, middle of March, and you will be the first one rocking the beautiful eyeliners on you. I will be testing out the eyeliner on myself, but I will actually be starting to use it with my makeup work as well. So you guys need to just continue to tune in, chill out with us, talk horror. Eventually, we will be inviting people to do live feed comments so that we can actually respond to people in real time. Yes, at this time, again, as Jackie said, this is our first podcast. Please excuse us. We're on a learning curve, but we love what we're doing, and we don't we don't justify that we're wrong. We we're, we don't care about mistakes. We're here to make a great podcast, and we love this world. And we're gonna keep doing this, and we're gonna learn, and we're gonna offer you more opportunities to contact us. Right now, the biggest opportunity is we have an Instagram. Message us, post on our Instagram, follow us. You know, say you hated us, say you loved us, make your points against that movie. Maybe you have different opinions. Opinions are what the world is about, and we want opinions. So thank you for listening, and please follow us. Thank you so much, guys, and we will talk soon. And coming back very soon, maybe in the next two weeks, the Chop Shop will be reopened with Evil Chris and Zach Mr. Eyeliner for some gory fun times. Creep it real, everybody. Have a good night, all. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.